Well, good morning. Uh, good morning and welcome again to our, our outdoor worship service here at, at First Baptist. And uh, it's nice to see you all braving the, this heat and humidity. How about that, huh? Uh, well, thank you for joining us this morning. Our welcome and call to worship is going to come from 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 6. So 1 Peter 5, verse 6 is where we'll be reading. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Again, for the time being, we'll continue meeting outdoors. Uh, as we look to the fall and weather changing to the cooler and everything, that's when we're going to have to make some decisions about what will be wise and, and best. But uh, I think we're, I don't know if we're, we're there yet. And Lord willing, uh, we won't have to deal with this, this situation for, for, for that time, hopefully. Uh, but let's be in prayer about that and wisdom. Um, also, we sent out an email this week with a survey. Uh, and it's only got three questions on there, I think. Uh, about fall Bible study. So if you're interested in fall Bible study, I guess if you're not, you don't need to reply to it and we'll just take it as you're not interested. But if you are interested, um, there's a couple of questions that, about, you know, what would you feel most comfortable with? Would you feel comfortable doing an online Bible study, an in-person Bible study? And uh, so what I'm kind of thinking we'll do is we'll do a bit of a hybrid, meaning we'll possibly meet in the sanctuary spread out and for those who, who don't feel comfortable joining in person, we'll also have the option to join us online through Zoom or something like that. And uh, if you don't know what Zoom is, we'll explain it to you. And uh, it can be fairly simple the more you use it. So that's kind of what we're looking at when it comes to the fall. And uh, so if you have any questions about that or any concerns, let me know uh, about that. Well, with, with that in mind, let's turn our attention to God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 6. God's word says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after all you have suffered, a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Not right now, right? <laughs> Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we again are thankful for the opportunity to gather here, to sing your praises, to be reminded of your goodness and your grace to us, of how you guide us and you sustain us. And uh, Lord, we just ask that you would continue to restore us, to confirm us, to strengthen us, and establish us all the more in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you are able to, would you please stand and join us in singing? Uh, he will hold me fast.
All right, pull out your copy of He Will Hold Me Fast. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. 
Philippians chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Uh, my plan as we came to this text was to do verses 1 through 11. Um, but when I looked at the forecast, I figured maybe it would be better if we just focus on verses 1 through 3. So Lord willing, if the Lord wills, I know these are, are uh, not typical words you hear from pastor about preaching, but Lord willing, we might have a shorter sermon today just due to the heat and everything. But we'll see. Don't want to make any promises that I cannot keep. Uh, God's word says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, may you help us to rejoice in the Lord. Father, may we look out for false teachers, for false beliefs, even in our own lives, so that we might be faithful to you, that we might truly know who you are, that we might truly trust in you, that we might truly worship you and, and glory in Christ. And Lord, may we put no confidence in our flesh. Father, I ask that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word, so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friend, when you stand before God in judgment, what will you tell Him? What will your reason be for you receiving eternal life? Will you say, I am a righteous person? Or will you tell him that you are trusting in the blood of Jesus as your only hope for righteousness, as your only hope for salvation? This past week, I, I saw a survey that was put out, and it said that 50% of Christians in the United States, when they get to heaven, they stand before God, they are saying that they will get into heaven because of good works. The survey said that 50% of U.S. Christians believe that they will get into heaven because of the good works that they have done. And I would say, well, 50% of those people likely are not believers. Because as we're going to sing in a couple of moments, in a couple of minutes, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And so as we come to our text in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is going to show us that we cannot do anything to save ourselves. Our, our trust, our boasting, our hope for salvation cannot be in our history. It cannot be in any achievements we have done. It's not in our skin color or our good works. No, we must be trusting in Christ alone. And remember, as we've seen in Philippians, over and over and over again, we've seen these themes reoccurring of courage and joy and, and fellowship. 
Last week, if you remember, I tried to make the case of why Epaphroditus should be one of your favorite Bible characters. How what matters in the Christian life is simple, ordinary faithfulness. Faithfulness. That's what we as believers should strive for as we seek to honor Christ and, and boast in Him. Faithfulness to hold to the word of life. In Philippians 2, Paul had called the Philippians to live humble and united lives. And he showed them the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving them, uh, giving himself for our, our salvation, laying down his life, going to the cross to save us from our sins. He showed them the living illustrations of, of a humble life in Timothy and Epaphroditus. And now, as we come to chapter 3, verse 1, he calls them to rejoice and be watchful. Look with me at, at, at verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And he's going to call them in verse 2 to watch out for false teachers. So as we look at these first three verses here in Philippians, he's going to lay out for us marks of false teachers in verse 2. And in verse 3, we're going to see marks of genuine Christians who know Jesus. But he begins this chapter, this section, by saying, finally, my brothers. Now, some have jokingly said that Paul is showing himself to be a, a true preacher here. He says, finally, but notice where he's at in this letter. He's only halfway through the letter. Just like many preachers will say in conclusion, and they go on to preach a whole sermon after saying that, right? Well, it seems that what Paul is doing here is he's trying to show them that he's transitioning to this new subject, that he's signifying a move into a new section, a new topic. And what is this? Well, it's a familiar topic. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And we've seen this theme a lot throughout Philippians. Notice he doesn't just say rejoice. What does he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord in the Lord. Jesus is the reason and the source of their joy. Paul writes, to write these same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. In one sense, he's acknowledging that he's repeating himself here again about rejoicing. But friends, this theme of rejoicing in the Lord is incredibly important. He calls them, he commands them to rejoice in the Lord. Friend, I ask you, where is your source of joy located? Is Jesus Christ your reason and source of joy? He should be. And, and, and you'll see that the more you grow in your knowledge of Christ, the more you will rejoice in him. Isn't it interesting that right before Paul warns them about these false teachers, what is he calling them to do? He's calling them to rejoice in the Lord. When your joy is in Christ, it's harder to get caught up in false gospels, in false teachings. Paul is saying rejoicing in the Lord will help ward off these false teachers. When you know Jesus and when you love him and your joy is found in him, 
then you're not going to be so easily tempted to give in to sin and temptation. Because if you truly value Christ above everything else, then as Paul says later in this chapter, in chapter 3, everything looks like rubbish. Everything looks like garbage compared to knowing Christ. So rejoicing in the Lord is important for us to understand. We must find our, our hope, our joy, our only source of salvation, our only source, our true source of rejoicing is meant to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. So right before he tells them to look out for these false teachers, he commands them to rejoice in the Lord. Friend, are you rejoicing in the Lord this morning? Or are you just going through the motions of your life? Is Christ the true source of your joy? So now Paul moves in verse 2 to this, this warning uh, against false teachers. We say marks of false teachers. Teachers. This group is likely uh, the Judaizers that we've seen throughout the you see throughout the New Testament. And what this group was is they they claimed to be uh, Jewish Christians. They would say that they believe in Jesus, but in order to be saved, you must also do this. You must also follow the law of Moses. It was a gospel plus this equals salvation, which contradicts what we see in the New Testament. That is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone that saves. Friend, we're not saved by what we have done, what we are doing, or what we will do. We are saved by faith in Christ who fully and finally accomplished the work of salvation. We're not saved by what we've done, what we're doing, or what we will do. We are saved fully and finally by what Jesus Christ himself has done but these false teachers here they are saying they are insisting that true believers must also do this true believers must also submit to the law of Moses look at how he describes them in verse 2 he says look out for the dogs now if you're like me and you love dogs might hurt your feelings. <laughs> but in the first century, Israelites didn't have dogs as pets. They weren't cute and cuddly golden retrievers like we have at our house. No, they were similar to what we would say, they were similar to, to coyotes, to scavengers. They were unclean. And at times, dogs were used to refer to those who did not keep Israel's uh, dietary laws. And it would also uh, come for unbelieving Gentiles, a word for unbelieving Gentiles. And here, Paul is actually reversing the meaning, and he calls those people who are seeking to follow the law, he calls them unclean. He calls them dogs. He's saying that they think that they are the only ones who have the covenant blessings of the Lord God. But actually, they are outside of God's covenantal blessings. Why? Because they've corrupted the gospel. They've tried to add to the gospel of grace alone. And so here is this group of Judaizers. They're claiming to follow the law. They're claiming to live righteous lives on their own. But Paul then goes on, and what does he say? He says, look out for the evil doers. Paul says, they're actually evil why 
Because they're trying to earn their salvation. And in trying to earn their salvation, they're denying the free grace of God in salvation. As Paul writes in Romans 14, verse 23, whatever does not proceed, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Thus, in trying to keep the law, they're not doing so in faith. They're, they're doing it to gain righteousness, to gain their salvation. So Paul is actually saying what they're doing is they are not living for the Lord. They're living for themselves. They're trying to attain their own righteousness. But salvation, righteousness, does not come through works of the law. It comes, as you look with me at verse 9, it comes through faith. Paul says, being found in him, Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. In other words, this group was not following the law from faith. What they were trying to do is they were trying to replace faith in Christ alone with the law. Do you see that? That's why he's calling them evildoers. Because they're not actually obeying the Lord. Because they're denying the heart of the gospel. And then Paul goes on at the end of verse 2, and he continues to lay it on. He says, look out for those who, who mutilate the flesh. You can only imagine Paul's opponents, their blood begin to boil over this comment. The, the word used in the, in the original there for mutilate is a wordplay on the word used for circumcision. And circumcision was a sign of the old covenant. In one sense, it was, a great, it was great pride for this, this group. Yet here Paul is saying that their trust is in a dated sign. And that trust is in a sign that they, that their trust in that sign is actually a sign that they are not a part of the people of God at all. So in one sense, Paul is provoking them with, with their own sayings, with their own slogans. He calls them dogs, he calls them evildoers, he calls them mutilators. He's warning them that to trust in anything other than the work of Jesus Christ will only lead to damnation. So Paul is sharp here. It's a pointed rebuke. And in one sense, it's, it's shocking. But the reason he's so pointed, the reason his rebuke is so sharp and so shocking is because the difference between the two is life and death. To try and earn your own salvation will only lead to damnation. So Paul is sharp towards these false teachers, these false gospels. So those are the, the marks of these false teachers. But then he goes on and, and he's going to contrast verses 2 and verse 3 is a contrast between the opponents of the gospel, these evildoers, and the true circumcision, or in other words, the true followers of Jesus. And do you see how, do you, how he describes them? The, the marks of true followers of Jesus are those who worship by the Spirit of God, they glory in Christ Jesus, and they put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. So the first mark that Paul is describing here of a true follower of Jesus is one who worships by the Spirit. And that worship there 
it carries with it this idea of service. This worship is not simply uh, singing or playing music or what we do just on Sunday mornings. No, for the believer, when they place their faith in Christ, all of life is meant to be worship of God. All of life is meant to be service to Him. So friend, do you worship the Lord God by the Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? That first mark of those who know Jesus is that they have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. They worship and they serve Him. And then this second mark here that we see is that they glory in Christ. They glory in Christ Jesus. Or as some of your translations might say, they boast in Christ. Friend, what do you glory in? What do you boast in? Do you boast in your accomplishments, in your relationships, in your money, in your lifestyle? For the genuine follower, the genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, our glory, our boast is in Jesus Christ alone. As Paul would write in Galatians 6 verse 14, he says, But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, as a follower of Jesus, we must boast in Him alone. Do you live your life to make much of Jesus? Do you live your life in service and worship and boasting only in Him? Or do you live your life to make much of yourself, to boast in your accomplishments and to boast in your achievements? Friends, in eternity, all our worldly successes and achievements will mean nothing if you lived only for yourself. Have you ever met someone who claims to be a Christian, but they never talk about Jesus? Or they never glory in Jesus? They only glory in and boast in their accomplishments? Is that you? Do you do that? Friend, the Christian life is meant to be one that boasts and glories in our Savior. So friends, are you boasting about Christ to your co-workers, to your neighbors, to your friends, and to your family? Or are you living to make much of yourself? Selfishly serving your desires and your wants hoping to accomplish things solely for yourself? Or do you live to make much of Jesus? You know, we live in a day when churches are known for all sorts of things, some good and some bad. But may First Baptist Oakers be a church known for boasting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So friend, what are you boasting in? That's the second mark of a genuine follower of Christ, is they boast in Him. They glory in Christ. And the third mark is that they put no confidence in the flesh. The, the person who knows Jesus puts no confidence in the flesh. What does Paul mean there? Well, he means pretty much the exact opposite of glorying in Jesus. So instead of placing your hope for salvation... Instead of placing your confidence in yourself and your achievement, our confidence as believers is meant to be in Jesus. You see, everybody puts their confidence somewhere. Where is yours? 
The Christian's confidence is in Jesus, not in ourselves. And so Paul reminds you here, and he's going to expand further on this in the rest of the chapter, that we can't trust in anything. We can't trust in rituals or traditions or ethnicity or good works. Nothing other than Jesus. You see, these false teachers had their confidence in their good works, in their law-keeping. That's likely why Paul mentions the flesh there. No confidence in the flesh. That's probably an allusion to the sign of circumcision. And Paul is saying that that mindset of confidence in the flesh, confidence in yourself and what you've done and your good works is opposed to the Spirit of Christ. And it will lead to death, to a rejection of the only one, Jesus Christ, who can save from sin. So friend... Where is your confidence? Are you boasting in Christ? Are you worshiping by the Spirit of God? Are you serving the Lord God in everything you do? Are you serving yourself and putting your confidence in the flesh? Uh, I, I read this last week uh, from the journal of John Wesley. John Wesley, if you don't know who he was, he was one of the, the, the founders of Methodism the Methodist denomination, and uh, he left England to go be a missionary in America. And there he was. He thought God had called him to be a missionary, and, and so he, he arrives in America. And when he arrived, he, he went to a pastor to get advice on, on preaching and missions work. And uh, when he went to this man, this pastor there in America, this pastor asked him, when he was asking for advice, he said, my brother, I must first ask you one or two questions. Have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? And Wesley writes, I was surprised and knew not what to answer. He observed it and he asked, do you know Jesus Christ? And Wesley said, I paused and said, I know that he is the savior of the world. True, he replied. But do you know that he has saved you? I answered, I hope he has died to save me. He only added, do you know yourself? Wesley said, I do. But then he went on to write in his journal, but I fear they were vain words. There he is, this man who felt called to, to preach and would be used mightily by God, uncertain if what he said was truly, if he was truly trusting in Christ. But two years later, he would write in his journal, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society, uh, to a meeting at Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans, and about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Friend, do you know Christ? Is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? Where is your confidence? 
Where is your hope for salvation? Friend, when you stand before God in judgment, why do you think you will receive His grace instead of judgment in hell? If your answer is anything other than Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for you, then you do not know what it means to know Christ. You are not a genuine follower of Jesus. And so I call you to trust in Him today. Place your faith in Him today. And know for yourself that He has saved you. And receive the assurance of your salvation. So friends, what are you trusting in? If you are trusting in anything other than Jesus, if anything other than Jesus is your confidence, your boast, and your treasure, then lay that idol down and place your faith in Him today. Put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in yourself. Your confidence and your boasting is only meant to be in the Lord Jesus Christ who alone saves. So are you worshiping by the Spirit? Are you glorying and boasting in Jesus Christ? Or is your confidence in the flesh? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's pray. Father, may our boast truly be in Christ. May our hope truly be in what He has done for us. May we worship You by the Spirit boasting in Jesus Christ alone, putting no confidence in anything that we have done, but only in what Christ has done for us. So in light of that good news, Lord, help us to live lives that are honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able to, would you please stand and join us in singing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. verse 1 and verse 3 of When I Survey.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we thank you for sending your one and only Son to save us from our sins. And so as we go from here, Lord, we realize that on Christ the solid rock we stand, and all other ground is sinking sand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.